What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today, as usual, is my co-host Curtis. And today on the show, we are talking the 2018 football schedule. Specifically, we are ranking each game in the schedule based on the level of difficulty. Curtis and I combined our individual rankings to come up with an overall Glory UGA podcast 2018 schedule rating. Uh, we definitely did not agree on everything, and we're going to get into all that momentarily, but first, like we uh, always do here to start off the show, I want to remind everyone that you can find us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UJ. If you agree, disagree with some of our ratings, we'd love to hear your thoughts on how the 2018 schedule will play out and how it looks here in July. Uh, also, want to make sure everyone knows that you can find our podcast on a variety of different platforms out there. Uh, the first place to look where we got started all those years back was Glory, or, uh, DawSportsRadio.com, part of the larger V-Sport-O Internet Radio Network. So that'd be the first place to check out. You can also download their app straight to your smartphone, make it a little easier for yourself. But if you do prefer some of the other uh, platforms out there, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, you can find us on all those platforms as well. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We sincerely appreciate that. We appreciate all of you guys listening. If you get a chance, it'd be great to just give us a little feedback there wherever you do find our show. Uh, but all right, with all that stuff out of the way, we've got a lot to talk about today. So I want to go ahead and get into it here today on the show. And before we get into the schedule rankings, I promise we will get there in just a few minutes. Before we head that direction, there are just a few quick news items that as a UGA-centric podcast like we are, we uh, are pretty much obligated to talk about. So first up here is the news that Jake Fromm broke. I'm, I, obviously, you've all heard this by now, so I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But the news that Jake Fromm broke his left non-throwing hand in a uh, what I would categorize as a freak boating accident. Man, that's all, the way it kind of went down. It's not just like a freak accident on Lake Burton on Monday. Uh, I had heard some rumors of this on Tuesday. Kurt, did you hear some of that before the news actually hit? I did not. Yeah, I, had, I heard a few things on Tuesday, but nothing concrete. Couldn't get any sort of confirmation. Uh, but most of the time in the past when I've heard rumors about injuries, the vast majority of the time they turn out to be true. So, of course, when I heard those rumors on Tuesday, my mind instantly went to kind of like worst-case scenario. And so I'm looking up on my phone, looking up recovery times for broken hands and seeing that it's like six to eight weeks. And, of course, I'm freaking out because that means he misses like most of, if not all, of, of, of fall camp. But then yesterday afternoon, we, of course, get the official news that breaks that it wasn't near as bad as my mind led me to believe. Uh, apparently, I'm sure, again, you've all heard this, but apparently, if not, he apparently broke it while sitting on the back of a boat uh, with a dude riding a wakeboard behind the boat. He kind of dropped the rope, and the rope handle smacked into Fromm's hand freakishly. Uh, it's his non-throwing hand, the left hand. Apparently, according to his mother, it's a small bone, no cast his knees in a splint for a couple of weeks, but he is expected to participate in 7-on-7 seven seven today. We're recording this on Thursday. So it doesn't really sound like it's going to cost him all that much. Maybe some time in the weight room here and there, but nothing too serious. It's not like he's going to miss any serious time. Uh, and, and, of course, with things like this happening, you kind of heard this a couple of years ago. Remember Sony got hurt with the ATV accident? His was obviously much worse, and he's a running back, so... He's going to be taking contact all the time in practice. But when things like this happen and, and the fan base gets a scare, you start to hear voices out there saying the players need to kind of cut out the horseplay and kind of play it safe. Don't go out there in the lake. Don't ride ATVs. Don't do that kind of stuff. So, Kurt, I, I just quickly want to get your take on this. I've heard this, you know, I, and I see, I can kind of see both sides of this. I know it's kind of a comment, but I do. It's kind of a fine line. But, Kurt, is it time for coaches in college football to kind of put a stop to players doing some of these fun things in their leisure time that could potentially be dangerous and maybe hurt the team? Um, I mean, you could, but 
it's just it's just there's a fine line to walk between it. I mean, you also at the same time when you're being recruited and things, you don't want them to think like stuff like that be used negatively against you. That's 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 my big thing, right? Is like if you're because not you, you can't make a universal rule. That's not going to happen. So if you're one of the programs that takes the steps, says, you know what? No, our players can't go out and wakeboard. Like our players can't go play basketball. Our players can't ride ATVs. Our players can't do this. Can't do that. Well, then all the big time players who have every team in the country pining for them. Are they going to be coming to to Athens where they really can't do anything but play football? And see, and I, and I, I think that's a dangerous, you know, it's a dangerous precedent for sure. Yeah, yeah, and then that's the big thing to me. Like I told, like on on one hand, like initially when I heard the news, like oh my god, dude, like I at first like on Tuesday I thought he was wakeboarding. I, I didn't know the whole story, so I was like oh my god. And I, I've I've seen like Instagram posts of he has been doing that kind of stuff, but like that that's going to happen. Can you really stop that? Without hurting your program, you probably really can't. And like in an ideal world, I like all of our guys to be wrapped up in bubble wrap 24-7, 365 when they're not playing or practicing. Sure, I'd love that, but that's not realistic. And these guys, like like they're young teenagers, most of them, young 20-year-old guys. They're going to go out there and have fun. They want to do things that, that people their age tend to do. Uh, and, and Especially when you factor in the recruiting aspect of this, like you can't say, hey – when you're a senior high school, if you come here, you can't go to the lake. You can't go play basketball. You can't ride ATVs. You can't do any of that kind of stuff. You're going to lose out on a lot of top players. They have other places they can go that can offer them a lot of the same things that we can offer them, but also allow them to do some of the things outside of football that they enjoy. So I, I don't know if you can really put a stop to it. I don't know if there's a, a, a really a right answer here. I think you just have to tell the guys to be smart when they're doing things and tell them to be aware and just cross your fingers and hope for the best, man. It's just it's really that time of year where you just kind of – Pray to God every day that you don't hear, you don't wake up in the morning, look at all the, the websites out there, and see that someone went down with a major injury. Just gotta gotta live with it, I guess. Uh, all right, the next thing here to discuss, uh, real quickly here, are a few comments that Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley made about our defense on Sirius XM's ESPNU radio. This was a couple days ago, Kurt. Did you get a chance to to run across these comments? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and, if, and I know a lot of you out there probably heard this as well, but if you haven't. Uh, here are the quotes. Uh, this is on ESPNU Radio and SiriusXM. Lincoln Riley said, If you throw Georgia in the Big 12 every year, there is no way they are a top five defense in the country. That's not a shot at Georgia. They were absolutely one of the best defenses last year. It's a compliment to our league, the Big 12. So, Kurt, uh, do you buy Lincoln Riley's comments there? Um, honestly, you know, I was looking at it statistically-wise and everything. I'd probably buy it. We wouldn't be a top-five team. We probably, I think we could consistently be the best defense in the Big 12. Um, but I think that the reason I don't see us buying us being a top-five defense is, you know, one thing that helps us the most, especially in the SEC, is you do face these teams that are, like, you know, real ground-and-pound type team that aren't going to – you'll face the teams that are going to score, but you're also going to face teams that aren't going to score, like and, Vanderbilt. Yeah, and Tennessee and last year averaged under 300 yards. A Kentucky and things like that. I mean, yeah. you'll get a, a bad team in the Big 12 like a Kansas and stuff, but even their bad teams can still put up with 28 points. I mean, you saw against Mizzou last year, as bad as Mizzou was, you know, defensively, they had a decent offense that could put up points like they did against us. And that's what you yeah. get a lot in the Big 12. You know, at, at first blush, I'm, I was kind of with you. I was thinking, okay, maybe it wouldn't be top five, but still like a top 10, 15-ish level defense, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking at first blush. But what I decided to do, I had a little extra time, so I, went, I, I crunched some numbers to see if Riley's intimation that the only reason SEC defenses are ranked so highly is because the SEC offenses can't match those in the Big 12. But that's essentially what he's saying, right? 
Yeah. It's like our, our defensive numbers are inflated because our SEC offenses just aren't as good as what you see in the Big 12 and elsewhere in the country. So if, if SEC defense like Georgia Alabama played in the Big 12, we wouldn't be nearly as uh, – or we wouldn't be rated nearly as high as we are in the SEC playing the paltry offenses that we face. So I said, all right, let me just check out the numbers here and see if I can figure something out here. And it's not an app, necessarily an apples-to-apples comparison because there are 14 teams in our league. We don't play every team in the league. Uh, so it might be one year you might play three or four of the worst offensive league. One year you might play three of the four best offensive league. It just depends on the year, we don't play, and we only play eight conference games. Whereas the Big 12, they have ten teams, so they play a full round robin. They play everyone in the league, and uh, they got nine conference games. So it's not quite apples to apples. you got to throw that out there first. But what I did is I calculated the yards per game of each Power 5 team on Oklahoma's schedule last year, including those vaunted Big 12 offenses that Lincoln, Lincoln Riley's pumping up. Uh, and the yards per game of each Power 5 team on our schedule last year. So for both teams, I, I included the conference title game, our game against Auburn, their conference title game against TCU, and the playoff games. They played, obviously, just us. We played Oklahoma and Alabama. And then I divided that number by the total number of Power 5 games each team played. And what do you know? It comes out that the numbers indicated the offenses we played last year, yes, even those poor, pathetic SEC offenses, were not that far off from what Oklahoma played last year. Oklahoma played 12 Power 5 teams, which and those 12 Power 5 teams combined for 5,173.7 yards for an average of 431 yards per game. We played 13 Power 5 teams who combined for 5,352.2 yards per game for an average of 411 yards per game. So on average, if you took all the Power 5 teams that both teams played, Oklahoma and Georgia, the teams that they played averaged about 20 more yards per game than, we, than the teams that we played. Now, is that a vast difference? Is that the is that kind of difference that's going to cause us from going from 6th nationally into like 12th or 13th in, in, in the nation defensively? Um, like 20 yards, is it that big of a difference? I mean, it's a it's difference. It's not that big of a difference, but I think the thing is it's more well-rounded offensively. I think, I mean, and, and that's a fair argument. There are, since there's fewer teams in the Big 12, they don't have as many bottom dwellers, right? They had the Kansas and the Kansas, like Kansas and Kansas State last year were the two worst teams offensively for them in Iowa State. So they have, the, they have those teams, but they don't have like, you know, the Vanderbilts and last year was Tennessee under 300 yards a game, Kentucky, right, like 335 per game last year, right around, I think, 337, something like that. There's, there's not as many teams that kind of play at the bottom. So, that, I mean, that's a fair point. But here's one, I took it one further step. So, if you break it down to the Big 12 offenses that Oklahoma face and the SEC offenses we face, which is really what, what Lincoln Riley was talking about. I said the Big 12 offenses were better than the SEC offenses. So for Oklahoma, you take out Ohio State. They played Ohio State out of conference. You take that game out, and you take us out in the Rose Bowl. And then for us, you take out Oklahoma. You take out Notre Dame. You take out Tech, and you leave only the conference games that each team played. The 10 Big 12 teams that Oklahoma faced averaged 300, combined averaged 379.2 yards per game. The 10 SEC offenses we faced averaged 387.6 yards per game. So based on that number, on average, and look, there's some that are way down and some that are way up. So, you know, there's there's a range there. But based on those numbers, on average, the SEC offenses that we faced last year were about eight yards, eight and a half yards better than the, than the Big 12 offense that Oklahoma faced. So based on that, I'm going to have to say I don't really completely buy that. I, I mean, I know Oklahoma. Like, last year in the Big Twelve, you have Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, who were number one, number two nationally in total offense. Those teams were they were incredible. But then they like the rest of the league kind of came back down to earth. There, I mean, you got you have Texas, who wasn't really good offensively at all. Iowa State, not that great offensively. Kansas State, Kansas, they have teams there as well. They just don't have as many. So I'm not going to really buy that. Now, maybe we wouldn't finish top five. Maybe it's more like top ten. But I mean, we're, we'd still be 
a very, very good defense and a highly ranked defense based on the numbers that I crunched there. Uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and transition into the schedule talk. Now, to do this, it, it sound, I'm going to explain how we did this. It sounds complicated, but I promise you it's really not. It's, it's basically math that even I could do. So to do this, we first each did our own individual rankings of the 12 games on our 2018 schedule from most to least difficult. Then I combined those rankings, assigning each team points based on where we had them ranked. For instance, the team I ranked first as the toughest game on our schedule got one point. Same for the team Curtis ranked first as the toughest game. Then the team I ranked second got two points, and so on. And then again, I did the same thing for Curtis rankings. And I added all the points up that each team on our schedule got and combined them into a Glory UGA podcast ranking. And we're going to release them in groups and kind of discuss as we go through. We're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. We uh, want to have a little bit of a tease there. So we're going to start. The first group we're going to release are the three, according to us, on the Glory UGA podcast, the three easiest games on our schedule. Coming in at number 12, we have the Austin P. Governors. We have number 11, the University of Massachusetts Minutemen. And then number 10, the Middle Tennessee State Blue Raiders. Uh, now, like you and I, Kurt, we obviously, both of us had Middle Tennessee, UMass, and Austin P. as our three easiest games on the schedule. 10, 11, 12, and some order. But it wasn't the exact same order. I had Middle Tennessee at number 10 ahead of UMass. You had UMass ahead of Middle Tennessee at number 10. Not a huge difference, but a little bit of a difference. So I know we're not going to spend too much time on the, on the bottom feeders here, but why did you rank UMass ahead of Middle Tennessee State? Why, did, in your estimation, would that be a tougher game than when the Blue Raiders come calling? Uh, more than anything, I think it was because it's later in the season and the timing, you know, you allow them to get going just a little bit. Sometimes those teams can, I mean, you know, they can sneak up on you at the beginning of the season, but also at the end of the season when you're really into the flow of the SEC and, you know, that's the last thing on your mind, really. You're trying to get players healthy. At the end yeah, you definitely can have some injuries at that point in the year for sure. You got the you got the, the big rivalry game coming up the next week. That's fair. I, I honestly, like, if you look at that at UMass last year, I mean, they were 4-8 and eight last year, did not make a bowl game. Uh, Middle Tennessee was six and six. Ended up going to bowl game, win the bowl game, ended up seven and six. So I mean, but not a, a drastic difference here. I will say to to kind of support what you were pointing out there, UMass had some really close calls against some Power Five teams, and they had remember they had Tennessee beat late in that game, and then Tennessee comes with a miracle drive late in the game, or I guess the late drive. I don't know if it was a miracle, but a late drive, and they score a touchdown. They go up seventeen thirteen and win the game. Uh, they lose at Temple by by a touchdown, 29-21. Uh, they lose a heartbreaker uh, to to Hawaii, 38-35. Uh, they beat Georgia Southern. They beat Appalachian State in double overtime, which was interesting. Uh, they lost to Mississippi State, 34-23. That was a close game. That was a, that was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. That They definitely put up a fight. Then they actually beat BYU at BYU. Now, BYU wasn't very good last year, but they did beat BYU on the road, 16-10. So, yeah, they were 4-8, and eight, but they easily, just as easily could have been like 6-6, six and six, same as Middle Tennessee. And they, and they played some Power 5 teams and were close in a couple of those games. Didn't quite uh, get there. Ohio's another game, and it's not a Power 5 team, but they lost that game by a touchdown, 58-50s and a barn burner. So I, I think they're better than what their record suggested last year. But Middle Tennessee, like I think they've just been a more stable program in the past couple years. Rick Stock still, as the head coach, has done a really good job with the Blue Raiders. They've, they've, they've actually beaten some Power 5 teams. They, they beat a Vanderbilt a couple years back. They've won some games. Uh, Brent Stock still, his son, is coming back at quarterback, who was hurt for uh, about half of the year last year. It's one of the reasons they didn't have as a better of a year than they did. But he should be back this year. He's an upperclassman now. And he's a good quarterback. Uh, now, he's not like an SEC caliber guy, but he's a guy that can definitely do some things back there at the quarterback position. So for that reason, just really based on quarterback more than anything, 
and the track record that Rick Stock still has coaching the Blue Raiders, I put them at number 10. But we're, we're really just splitting hairs there on those two. All right, the next group we're going to look at are the number 8 and number 9 teams. Uh, Rook, we're just going to run through these. We both had Kentucky uh, ranked in the exact same spot. We both had Vanderbilt ranked in the exact same spot. We had uh, Vanderbilt coming in as the ninth toughest game on our schedule, which is the le- the lowest rated conference game. Then we have Kentucky coming in at number eight. You and I both agree uh, on, on those games there, so we'll just move ahead here to number six and seven. Now, there is some difference here, all right? Number seven in our rankings, the way it worked out in our combined rankings here, which we kind of disagree on, but it still is how, how it kind of played out. We have the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, the joke by Coke coming in as the number seven team on our 2018 schedule rankings, and then the Tennessee Volunteers coming in as the number six team. Now, you and I, in our individual rankings, had Tennessee and Tech flipped. I had Tech coming in as the number six toughest game on our schedule and Tennessee at number eight. You had it the opposite. You had UT, you had Tennessee at number six and Tech at number eight. So, Kurt, in your opinion, what makes Tennessee a tougher game than Tech? They're both at home. Why will Tennessee give us a tougher challenge? Um, I think more than anything is the timing. You know, we're coming back from Missouri and, you know, coming – I mean, it's not a it's, – I mean, it's a decently hard trip coming back from Missouri. We saw it before. Um, Especially it if it's a be, night game. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a pain when you come back from – like we had to come back from Ole Miss to play Tennessee. I mean, I know they're a better team. But um, it can be difficult. And, you know, like with Tech, we're playing um, – as we mentioned before, we're playing UMass the week before. So it allows us to get a week to get healthy and things like that where we won't be benefited okay. that thing. It's, and Tennessee's going to be hungry out there trying to prove something, especially with Pruitt and some of those coaches like Rocker and Sharer. You know, they're going to be trying to get the team ready. I mean, you know, want to show that they're a challenge in the East and things like that, especially if they lose to Florida and stuff like that. They'll have the, you know, backs against the wall mentality and things like that. So you kind of get this more situationally than just talent on the field, right? It's what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, sometimes the situation can change a lot. Yeah, just where games fall on the schedule. Absolutely. There's no doubt that can definitely play a big impact. And, and, and I guess we're just looking at it differently. Because you're looking at more situation. I was looking at more talent on the field. Uh, I do got to get some of your points. So you make some fair points. I mean, Tennessee, look, we beat the holy crap out of We essentially, like, we were the final straw that broke the camel's back and, and essentially sealed Butch Jones' fate last year, right? Yeah. Like, after that 41 nothing beat down, like, that was it. That That's just, it was done. It was done after that. He was, he was dead man walking after that point. There's no doubt there. So do you think the fact that we completely demolished and embarrassed them on their home field 41 nothing last year, do you think that gives them a little added motivation coming into Athens this year? Um, I don't know how it doesn't. And at the same time, you know, the more likely should be coming off a loss to Florida and things like that. And, you know, they're going to be trying to not spiral out like they have been. Yeah, obviously it's going to give us mad motivation. I agree with you there. But do you think that – does that really matter? Like the fact that they, they're motivated because we beat the crap out of them last year, does that really, is that really going to impact this game at all? Do I don't think it will have impact. I think it may impact, you know, the first 15th, first quarter or a quarter and a half uh, before things wear out. But even then, I think it's just the, you know, the buy-in maybe from the players. Okay. Like I – what you're saying makes total sense, but I'm going to stick with I'm going to stand by my ratings and say I got I'm going to stick with Tech at six and Tennessee at eight. Uh, I'm not going to like make too big of a deal. I think you, everything you said is is completely reasonable, but to me it's just that Georgia Tech offense. Even though that we we definitely came out with a killer scheme against that triple option attack last year and completely just stifled them. I mean they could do nothing. Like they really could do nothing. Uh, but you know that was. 
you know, that was the first time I've seen that in a couple of years. Typically, they've had some success with that triple option. I mean, it's so difficult to stop. And look, we don't have a guy like Roquan Smith this year to play that position where he's kind of just roving back there and he's just like a heat-seeking missile. We don't have that kind of athlete. At least we don't have him yet. Like maybe Quay Walker, Chang Tindall, if they come out by that time of the season. Uh, because remember, like Natrus Patrick got his first career start against Tech late in the season a couple years back. You remember that? Yeah. And he played really well and he kind of showed out there. So maybe like – one of those guys steps up at that time, and, and you'll see a situation similar to what Nature has had a couple of years back when he first kind of jumped onto the scene there, and, and they can maybe fill that Roquan-type role. Uh, but I'm curious, and look, and let's be real. Like that scheme that we came out and used against them last year, they know that we use that, and they're going to spend the entire offseason preparing for ways to kind of counter that scheme, and we're going to have to come up with some some different adjustments of our own. So just that triple option offense, you just never know from game to game, from year to year, how it's going to work out. And, you know, they've had, they've had some success here in Athens the past couple years. It pains me tremendously to say that, but it's true. Uh, and Tennessee, like right now, like I think like, we've talked about Tennessee with our Scout and the Enemy series. Like I, I think they have some talent in spots, but the quarterback situation is a complete disaster right now. Maybe Keller Chris comes in and stabilizes. I don't know, but I'm not really expecting that. It's from a grad transfer who hasn't really gone through a full practice with the team. Hasn't gone through a full practice with the team yet. They have a few guys defensively. Maybe you could say... Uh, Daniel Batuli, maybe you could say Nigel Warrior, but outside of that, I mean, God, man, they're really hurting for for top level talent defensively. I just and and they're going to try to run up. Well, we don't know exactly what they're going to try to run, but it's certainly more of a pro style scheme under Jeremy Pruitt, kind of what Tyson Helton wants to do uh, as the offensive coordinator. And Tech's offense, even though they, they might not be quite as talented as Tennessee, although at this point I don't know if there's that big of a gap between Tennessee Tech. You saw them play last year, and that was a barn burner to the very end of the game, the first game of the year. Uh, just the fact that that triple option offense, I think it kind of new. It, it's it's kind of the ultimate equalizer. So I, for that reason, I would say I would still stick with Tech as a little bit tougher of a matchup for us than Tennessee. All right, the next group of games here uh, would be the number five and number four ranked games on our 2018 schedule. Coming in at number five, we have our game in Columbia, Missouri, not Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia, Missouri against, obviously, the Missouri Tigers. And then at number four in our combined Glory J podcast rings, we have a trip to Death Valley, a rare trip to Death Valley in Baton Rouge to take on the LSU Tigers. Now, Kurt, here's another group of games, another pair of games, where you and I had a little bit of a disagreement. Uh, why in your – and let's, let's actually, let's throw Florida in there, too. Let's go ahead and do number three. So number five is Missouri, at Missouri, number four at LSU – and then coming in at number three on our combined Glory J podcast rankings would be our annual pilgrimage to Jacksonville to take on the Florida Gators. Now you and I, like we we both all we we had Florida, LSU, Missouri in our individual rankings somewhere between three, four, and five. But our order was kind of different. I had LSU coming in as the third toughest game on our schedule. Florida at number four, Missouri at five. You had Florida all the way up at three. Missouri at four and LSU at five. Really, LSU is the big difference for us in these three in these three games. Right, LSU at three, you had them at five. So, Kurt, why, in your opinion, are Florida and Missouri both tougher games than LSU this year on our 2018 schedule? Um, well, Missouri, I think it's the biggest thing is where we where we played them. You know, we saw it a couple years ago when when we went there last time, and uh, you know they gave us a really really difficult game, and that you know that was the toughest. They I, I feel like that was the toughest they played that entire season before their season spiraled out of control, and we're still going to be playing them early enough in the season where that can be the case, and um, you know they're they're going to probably be trying to prove something against us, and I think the difference with LSU is LSU has lost so much. And they haven't replaced it like they have been. They're not the same LSU they have been. And while Death Valley is a very difficult place to play, 
that can only make up for so much when you have a talent deficiency. And if they're coming off a couple losses like they are, like they should be against Miami and possibly Florida, then that fan base will be angry. Okay, fair points. You mentioned a talent deficiency at LSU. And I honestly have to say Missouri's offense is a lot more dangerous than LSU, and their offense can equalize it. I mean, you saw it. They were able to stay with us that first half at home. Yeah, that Missouri offense very well could be the, the top offense in the SEC for the third the third straight year. It very easily could be. So I, I'm with you there. That offense is going to be hellacious. They have essentially everyone back outside of maybe Jamon Moore. Uh, you mentioned LSU has a talent deficiency. Where do you see – because we're, we're going to get to LSU in our Scout the Enemy Series next week. So kind of a quick little preview here. Where do you see the talent deficiencies on this LSU team? Because you mentioned there are some um, deficiencies there. Offensively, they have a lot. You know, their offensive line is very weak. They don't have a true running back now this year after losing guys. And even at the wide receiver's position. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you about LSU's offense. So they're losing their top two wide receivers, losing their top two running backs, losing their quarterback, and they have a new offensive coordinator running an entirely new – apparently – According to Coach O, going to be running a whole new scheme. So none of that screams offensive success in 2018 for LSU, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't. But if you look at that defense, man, like, that defense is legit. They have some serious playmakers on that side of the ball. I mean, you got Devin White, who might be uh, might be the best, at least coming this season, might be the best linebacker in the league, if not one of the best linebackers in the country. You've got Greedy Williams, who's definitely one of the top two or three DBs in the country. You've got Grant Delpit coming back at safety, who's based on the entire season as a true freshman. you got Brennan Faco coming in as a, as a big-time transfer, defensive tackle, kind of, which is a spot they haven't had the big-time talent in the past couple of years, which they used to have. I think defensively they're going to be really, really good. But offensively, you're right. I think they're going to struggle to score. We're getting into more detail with that next week on the Scout and Enemy series. Uh, but the fact that it's at LSU, like in Death Valley, now we don't know. Like if you look at the, the SEC schedule for that week, it looks like that matchup probably will be the, the premier game in the conference that week. So it's a very good chance it'll be a three thirty game or two thirty local time in Baton Rouge, uh, which I think would certainly work to our advantage because uh, you don't want to play there at night. Absolutely not. But the fact that it's at Baton Rouge does that not give you more pause and say that game could potentially be tougher? Um, I mean, you could, but I think. You know, we saw it, like we said, like two years ago when we were in Columbia. I mean, it was a pretty decent atmosphere. And I think the thing is, I mean, it could be dangerous. But like you said, as long as it's not a night game, you have a better chance. Yeah. But, yeah, and look, but I also, like, the, you, talk, you were talking about circumstances earlier, you know, looking at that Tennessee, or looking at uh, Tech versus Tennessee. I think situation, not only is it situationally, not only is it at LSU, but look at it. Like, look, we could definitely roll into that game with, like, one loss or maybe even undefeated. There's a very good possibility for both those to be reality when we roll into Baton Rouge. If that's the case, you know, we could easily be a top, you know, anywhere in the top five, one through five somewhere there. And if that's the case, we're playing in Baton Rouge, and we're a team that LSU does not play very often at all. Our profile nationally has been raised after the season we had last year. We could potentially be a top three-ish level team. We roll into Baton Rouge. You don't think that place is going to be jacked up and that team's going to be jacked up and laser-focused to play us? Um, I think they will be, but I mean, and let's be honest, that can only go so far. You saw it this past year after they lose to Troy. You know, they try to come out focused. They beat Florida and things like that. But realistically, whenever they played a, a top team, they struggled last year. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I mean, they can only make up for so much. And you're talking about that's true. You're, I, I, yeah, totally I totally buy that. I totally buy that. Defensively, they have good players at certain positions, but it's not like the past uh, LSU teams where up and down the entire defensive roster they could. Pl- you know, plug and place players, and they were still. Yeah, it's not solid. 2010, 2011. It's not. It's not that type of, of LSU defense. That's, that's true. It's not, but it's still a really, really good defense. Uh, but the, you're right. They're, they're gonna have, they're gonna struggle to score. That's for sure. 
I see, but you had Florida at three. What about Florida? Okay, so let's look at Florida, Missouri. You had four. We both had Florida ahead of Missouri. I had Florida at four, Missouri at five. You had Florida at three, Missouri at four. Why do you have Missouri or Florida ahead of Missouri? This is a team that was they didn't make a bowl last year. To me, I think Florida has this game circled. I think this is going to be their one of the biggest games of the, the season to them. Um, and how is that any different than playing at LSU? If we're a top three team, they'll have that game circled, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, but I think this game has a lot more long-term ramifications okay. on it when it goes to recruiting and different things like that. Like, it's you know, for the East. It's a division team. Dan Mullen has more to prove. I mean, Coach O's begging people to you know be patient. Where Dan Mullen's over here eager to try to start off right, and you know his whole thing is if he could beat Florida that or Georgia that would make his entire seat, his first year and allow him to get you know get off on the right note. That's another fair point about LSU because let's say they have lost two or three games, and let's say they lose to Auburn, they lose to Florida, and they lose to Miami, maybe to open the season early season, and then we come to town. Like Coach O might be on the hot, like he will be on the hot seat, and maybe their team's falling apart by that time. So that's that's another fair point there. Uh, I just have a tough time with teams that are in their first year with a new head coach. We saw that like with us in 2016. We we all had faith in Kirby Smart, but it takes time to put your stamp on the program, create your culture, instill your offense, instill your defense. It takes time for that, especially a team like Florida, who I would say right now has less talent than what we had when Kirby Smart came in here. Uh, and, and look, they still have quarterback issues, man. Like that's the big thing is they have quarterback issues, and I know LSU does too. But Dan Mullen's offenses have been so predicated on having good quarterback play, not just good quarterback play, but a specific type of quarterback, big physical guy that can actually run the football, and essentially act as a, a modern day fullback, uh, like a triple option fullback type guy. They, I don't know if they have that at Florida right now. Uh, so I'm very curious to see how it translates in year one for Dan Mullen. I think there's some serious questions there. I do think they have more talent overall than Missouri for sure, and that's why I end up putting them at number four. I think defensively they'll be a lot better than Missouri, clearly. I think not, they're definitely not going to be as good offensively as Missouri, but I think that defense might counteract that. Um, yeah, I, I, I can go with what you've got there for your reasons why you got Florida ahead of Missouri. I still would have, I think I might still have LSU ahead of Florida just because like it's so hard to win on the road, man. Especially at one of the toughest places, not just in the league, but in the nation to win. I mean, winning on the road in conference is so difficult. And we don't know how, what the situations be like when we when we head to Baton Rouge. Maybe they're you know they're falling apart at the seams. Maybe not. Maybe they maybe they get a couple upsets. Maybe they upset Miami to open the season. Maybe they upset Auburn. And man, they're feeling good about themselves. There's just no way to know. But just going to the Death Valley like that, man. That's that that's a tough task. It's a very tough task. All right, that leaves us with our top two toughest games of the 2018 season, at least our regular season. You and I, Kurt, we both had, obviously, if you guys have been paying attention, you know that we have Auburn and South Carolina left up here on our schedule. You and I both had Auburn and South Carolina as our top two toughest games, but we had them in different orders. I had the game at South Carolina at number one as the most difficult game on our schedule. And then you had the home game against Auburn at number one. So, Kurt, your task, my friend, is to convince me. Why am I wrong? Why is Auburn going to be a more difficult game than our trip to Columbia, South Carolina on September 8th? Um, I think the whole thing has to do with timing um, and roster at the same time. You know, we're looking at it. Yeah, we go South Carolina week two. It's more likely it's already a 330 game, which comes plays into our favor. And at the same time, South Carolina, you know, while they're trying out, going out there trying to prove stuff, they, you know, they have some returning players on offense. But defensively is where it's going to help us the most. You know, we're breaking in defensive players, but so are they. And I think our defensive players that we're breaking in are better off, are better players, which will play into our favor. But when you're looking at when you're going against Auburn, 
you play them later in the season. You saw it last year. They struggled earlier in the season, but by the end of the season, they're usually clicking and playing better. Um, they're probably going to have one of, the one of if not the best defense lines in the nation, especially of the teams that we play. There's and no doubt about that. You're right. They have uh, Jared Stidham coming back, who's a leader, and you know he's a lot better quarterback than what you have um, over there on South, with South Carolina. You would, say, so, you would say Stidham's a lot better than Jake Bentley? I think he is. I think he's a lot better quarterback. I think he's a better passer. I think he's a better leader. Um, I think he, he's a better decision maker with the ball. He's which, less of a punk. It, I'll say that. Yeah, with with it, with when I mean, you saw with Bentley at any one time he could throw a pick, which could change the entire game. Whereas Stenham really takes, you know, he takes he takes care of the ball, and I think that's one thing that makes it hard to attack Auburn. I mean, yeah, he had uh, the strip sack, but other than that, he didn't throw an interception against us, so it didn't allow us to, you know, change field position, really, and things like that. And I just think that Auburn, with a better team, you know, there's going to be a lot on the line at the end of the season. Say we come in, say we lose South Carolina, okay, well, we can't afford to lose to Auburn, where if you lose to South Carolina, your season's not over, but when you come to this Auburn game, your season could be on the line that you have to win it or not. Great points, man. You did a great job. Round of applause. That's uh, that was that was a great re- uh, a great analysis there of those two games. I would just ask you this one thing: the fact that we're playing at South Carolina in Week Two with some young guys in secondary against a team that does have now they didn't the production last year was not good. We talked about in the Sky and the Enemy series. If you haven't listened to that show, go back and check that out. The production offensively was not good. The passing production was not good last year. I mean, Bentley threw 18 touchdowns, 12 picks. Now, the second half of the season when he really fell apart, he was actually, I think, only threw like four picks the first six games of the year, if I remember correctly. But he threw for like under 2,800 yards, was 62% completion. They also didn't have Debo Samuel. He's back this year. They have two really good, they have two potential number one wide receivers that with Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards. It's going to be tough to double those guys. They do lose Hayden Hurst. I think they have some weapons there. Uh, I I do agree that Jarrett Stidham is a better quarterback than Bentley. Uh, but I don't think it's as big of a gap as as maybe you made it. Like, maybe it is. I, I mean, you look at the numbers. Stidham threw 18 touchdowns, 6 picks to Bentley, 18-12. But that's different offenses, different schemes. They had, Bentley didn't have his best receiver there for most of the season. Stidham allows them to open up the offense more. I think that's they're more of a deep downfield threat, which is what something the South Carolina lacks. Yeah. Uh, that, with Debo Samuel back, does that not change things a little bit to a degree? They have one player that you really have to watch for the Brian deep Edwards ball. Brian Edwards is pretty good, man. I'm about saying for the deep ball themselves. I mean, yeah, Auburn throws to Slayton a lot, but they do have some big-time threats in the wide receiver. I mean, you got Nate Craig Myers and things like that. Yeah, they got some guys out there. They got Ryan Davis, who's, who actually was the best, their most productive receiver last year. I just – man, okay, this is a tough one. Definitely Auburn has the better defense. That's for sure. They're losing some guys, but that, that defense front, the front seven's going to be really good for Auburn. They're head and shoulders above better than South Carolina's defense. And I'm not going to quite – I think Auburn is a better team than South Carolina. I'm not really disputing that. But I'm looking at the fact, okay, number one, the Auburn game is at home. All right? We all know what happened when we went to Jordan-Hare. I think there's going to be – I think our crowd – I know our crowd is going to be going insane. I think that's going to be a huge home field advantage for us. We play – not only do we play at South Carolina, but South Carolina is a – and if you guys have not been there, I've said this before, it is an exceptionally difficult place to play, especially when they're good, especially when the South Carolina fans think they're good. And in week two, they even if they're not good, they won't know it by then. They're still going to think they're good. And we are their number one rival in the SEC. There's no doubt about it. When we play them in South Carolina, that place is rocking. I've been there, I don't know, the past decade plus I've been there watching games. And every single time, that place is freaking rocking. And it's going to be no different, especially after the season we had last year. That's going to be a very difficult prospect. I'm glad it's a 3-3. I think that does help us instead of a night game. Night games, they're a different animal. Um, 
So I, I, again, the fact that we're working in some young guys secondary, I think I'd rather have more talent in the secondary than experience, which, I'm, which I think we do have this year. But still, there's probably going to be some mistakes on the road in a big-time environment like that. And week two, with these guys basically playing their second game, their first real real contest, I would say, guys like, well, Richard Count got some time last year. But if it's Tyson Campbell, if it's Mark Webb, some of those guys getting some, some of their, seri- their first serious playing time on the road in that big-time environment. And I'd also say this about Auburn. We're going to get into Auburn a little bit later on this month. With our scouting enemy series, do you? Th- Let me ask you this question: Do you think Auburn has the personnel offensively to run the type of system that Gus Malzahn has had the most success with while he's been in Auburn? That smash mouth spread style system. Do they have that? Um, you know, I really don't think they do, and I think that's going to be the difference. And I think this is where you see more of a Chip Lindsey input on this season, um, well, because they're, they're just not going to have the carry on Johnson and someone like that yeah. in the running back. Position. I think it's a huge loss. I mean, you like so Auburn fans are real high on you know they want to those last those last couple losses at the end of the season, the SEC title game and the and the Peach Bowl. They want to blame on the fact that carry on Johnson was injured, even though he played in both those games. Okay, well, so let's say this. Let's say if carry jo- carry on Johnson was indeed not not one hundred percent healthy in those games, although he did play, he wasn't one hundred percent healthy. We saw firsthand, did we not, how much of a hit their offense takes when they don't have on Johnson, right? Yeah. Well, he's not going to be there this year. So you've got Cam Martin, who's going to try, at least right now, probably be the guy to try to fill that role. Maybe it's a young guy coming in, like an Asa Martin, who's a little bit of a bigger back. But that offense is built, it's predicated on smash mouth principles. ISO ball, they, they do all the window dress, and they run a lot of power, they run a lot of ISO, they want to get bodies uh, at the line of scrimmage, and they want to pound you. That's what they want to do. Now, it, in the past, we've had Nick Marshall and Cam Newton, you can use the quarterback to do a lot of that stuff too. They can't do that with Jarrett Stidham. So if you don't have on Johnson, you don't have the mobile guy at quarterback, you have to imagine, unless unless there's some new running back that steps up out of nowhere, because I don't think that, that Cam Martin can do it. He's not that kind of back. He's more of a a, a perimeter-type player. He's not a big dude that can pound the middle with those ISO and those powers. I just don't see it. So unless a new guy steps up at that position, I don't know what they're going to do offensively. It, it reminds me a lot of the year they had Jeremy Johnson. And I, look, Jerry Stidham is a lot better than Jeremy Johnson ever dreamed of being. Remember that year that he was in all that pub? And they were, they were like a preseason like top three, five team. And I said that they were going to be – in our preseason predictions, this is my one major claim to fame, I accurately predicted preseason that year that they were going to be 6-6, six and six, and they ended up 6-6. Six and six. Uh, And the reason was because Jeremy Johnson is not a mobile quarterback, and that's not what – and that's what they've had to have under Gus Malzahn to be successful. And if they don't have it, they have to have an elite power back like on Johnson. They don't have that this year. And they don't have the running quarterback. So absent of both those two elements of that offense, unless they make some significant adjustments with Chip Lindsey, and you're right, maybe Chip Lindsey does put his stamp on there. But I'm not sure Gus Malzahn is going to take his hands off the reins all that much. He didn't last year. He's got too much of an ego. Uh, so I'm very curious. And for that reason, I'm somewhat hesitant on saying that Auburn is going to be like a, a top five level team because of that. I really need to see what that offense is going to look like with some of the personnel losses and some of the potential scheme adjustments they're going to have to make because when they've had to rely on a passing quarterback, that hasn't been Gus Malzahn's most successful. Those have not been his most successful season. I'm very curious about that. Uh, but on the other hand, you could say South Carolina is working in a brand new offensive coordinator in Brian McClendon. You could say that as well. But I think we're splitting hairs between these two teams. I, I just, again, I'm going to go back to I think playing all on the road in the SEC is one of the toughest things to do in college football. So I'm going to stick with South Carolina at number one. But you made a, an incredible argument there, Kurt. I can't really fault you too much there. And if anyone has Auburn to be the toughest game, I can't really, I can't say you're wrong there because I, I do think Auburn's probably the better team. I just think situationally, the fact that it's on the road still keeps South Carolina at number one for me. But I can, I can certainly be wrong. I probably am wrong. We'll see how that plays out. 
All right, to recap this one last time here real quick for everybody, the Glory UGA Podcast's 2018 football schedule rankings is as follows. Coming in dead last at number 12 would be the Austin P. Governors. Coming in at number 11 would be the University of Massachusetts Minutemen. Number 10, Middle Tennessee State University. We'll get into the SEC portion of the schedule at number 9, the Vanderbilt Commodores. Number 8, the Kentucky Wildcats. Curtis and I pretty much agree on 8 through 12 for the most part. And then we start to diverge a little bit at number 7. At number 7, we have uh, our combined rankings. We have the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. A joke by Cook. I actually had them at number 6 of my individual rankings. Curtis had them at number 8. Then at number 6, we have the Tennessee Volunteers coming off an 0-8 SEC record in 2017. Uh, again, Curtis, I slight disagreement here. I had Tennessee at number 8, just a spot ahead of Vanderbilt. Curtis had them at number 6 in his rankings. Then as we head into the top 5, we've got the game in Columbia, Missouri as the number 5 toughest game on our schedule in 2018. Then at LSU at number 4. A little disagreement there. I had LSU at number 3. Curtis had them at number 5. Uh, I For me, it's just, again, that... The, the fact that it's on the road, it's so tough to win on the road in the SEC. And then number three, now we're in the top three. At number three, we have the Florida Gators as the third toughest game on our schedule. Then the top two. Number two, we have at South Carolina. And the number one, we have the home matchup against the Auburn Tigers. Curtis and I both have Auburn and South Carolina one and two. We just kind of flipped them. I had South Carolina number one by virtue of it being so early in the season. Just the situation, the circumstances surrounding that game, being on the road, be a big-time matchup. Uh, and Curtis had, obviously, Auburn number one. Hard to argue with Auburn, but uh, just, again, so hard to win on the road in conference, especially when you're uh, the team that South Carolina views as their biggest rival in conference, and it being a divisional game. So there it is. That's the Glory UJ Podcast 2018 Georgia football schedule rankings. Thanks for listening. Check back with us next week. We will have our next edition of the Summer Scouting Enemy Series focused on the LSU Bengal Tigers. So make sure to check back with us next week. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs. <laughs>